Kellett is a proper... Wasn't there a Bolton player called Kellett who moved to Man United? Is he any relation? I don't think so. That was Andy Kellett. Although, to be fair, my family do originate from that part of the world. So, mm. potentially a very, very, very distant cousin. Oh, yeah. And perhaps uh, his story can be told in a future issue of a magazine that is going to be in your hands after we come off this call, because you are the editor of Our Football League. What do you mean you haven't heard of Our Football League? It's a new magazine that you edit. Yes, yes it is. It's um, my sort of, uh, like your project here, the Football Library. This has been my way of coping through the past few months of lockdown. Reading quite a lot of magazines over the course of lockdown, and actually reading a German football magazine, um, called Halbvia. And I was sort of reading through that and I thought, I wonder if there's a football league version of this. And then sort of trolled through the internet, couldn't find anything, then had that eureka moment where you thought, hmm, why don't I make it? And to be fair, I've loved every minute of it. It's been so fun to put it together. And now we're getting to the point today where I'll actually have the final copy in my hands. So yeah, very exciting. And I'm only sorry that you've had to publish some of my bilge because I wrote this piece about Gino Pozzo that I shopped around uh, and then thought, well, if it's about the Football League, um, let's have a team who are, as we speak, third on goal difference uh, or in the entire EFL 72. Apparently there is a division above that, but we'll try to talk as little as possible about it. Halbfeer. Now, one of my favourite things about German is the way they tell the time. So you know what Halbfeer means? It's called Halbfeer because the games kick off at half three. I'm not sure, to be honest. Yeah, that's correct. It's halfway to four o'clock. So it's drei, drei oh, Uhr, and then Halbfeer, Veer, Halbfumpf, My project, uh, my big book that I'm not here to talk about was called originally Saturday 3pm because it is a time when everything stops and your life is directed towards a football club. Mine is Watford, yours is Proud Preston. Yes. And is that because you're based in Preston? So the reason why I support Preston is actually because of my dad. So I'm originally from Chesterfield, um, to a dad from Preston and a mum from Liverpool. And all my dad's family are from Preston, so from the second I could walk, I was being dragged on Preston games and got hooked, unfortunately. Yeah, it's quite funny, actually, because I support Preston, even though I've never officially lived in Preston. And I've got lots and lots of family up in Preston, I mean, loads, and pretty much every single one of them supports Man United. Oh. And I now live in Manchester. My local professional club would be Manchester United. But yeah, it's a, the upside-down world. I, I used to say Man United were my European team, Tottenham were my Premier League team, and then Watford were my championship team, and Hull, because my mum was born there. But I guess you can't have four clubs. So in 2012, I made the decision to support Watford, when was the last time Watford played Preston before this season? I don't think we've played in the cup. I think it, we're probably going back to 2011 because yeah. we got relegated to League One in 2011. They were there for four years and when we came back up, I think you were yeah. going through your stint in the Premier League. I agree, but we have definitely played you in cup matches. I do remember playing, uh, watching or following a Preston game. But this season... Uh, Preston North End are in the championship, solidly mid-table, and we'll talk about Preston then and now. But I do want to lead with this magazine, Our Football League. I had the great pleasure 
uh, of being sent a preview copy, which I tidied up. I dotted the I's, crossed the T's, found a mistake in my original text that I said that should probably read like that. Nothing to do with you. Uh, and you are going to have it in your hand. How many have been printed? So altogether, I think there's about 110. So I've actually got some sort of prototype copies here. I've got seven printed just because I've never done anything like this before. So I basically decided I'm going to get a few copies printed just to make sure it prints out fine. Mm-hmm. Originally, I hoped to sell about 50. I think I probably underestimated it a bit, but I was just sort of trying to temper my expectations. And I've already exceeded that in pre-orders. Mouthful. So, yeah. yeah, it's been going really well. Pre-orders um, could be made by the website, couldn't they? Yes, ourfootballleague.co.uk. I'm going to be offering subscriptions as well, uh, which is going to include three copies of the magazine. And also, I've decided I'm going to do a special themed edition of the magazine, sort of once a year. Ooh. So, like, the magazine at the moment is very much a bit of everything with regards to the Football League. I deliberately put it that way because I want it to be something that, obviously, people are going to be interested in different things. Everyone's going to have their club. They'll have other side interests, like rounds or kits or have a general interest in how teams are doing. Ourfootballleague.co.uk, there is a Twitter account, our, O-U-R-F-L, mag, and you can contribute to it. You can um, submit. Uh, When pitching your idea, please take into account the magazine is published quarterly. The second issue is in June. The deadline for articles unaffected by the current season's playoffs will be May the 10th. What... Are you? Oh, and I forgot you pay for submissions, so thank you for that. I paid for lunch. What advice do you give to people, not content wise, but style? What kind of tone do you want to adopt with our football league? So I wanted people to have their own voice as well. I want people's styles to show out so people can style it how they want. To be honest, I'm more concerned about sort of the wording wise. I'm still trying to get sorted in terms of what, how many words I want each person to put in just because. It's difficult if you've got an article coming in at 500 words, an article coming in at 2,500 to try and format it within time. Um, in terms of style, I'm going for sort of a generally quite formal style. To be honest, I'd rather people show their voices and sort of have their own style of writing. I think you can synthesise uh, these football times, and I, I spoke to three guys who write for that side. Sometimes the personality shines through, sometimes it is a bit broadsheet and the author doesn't get in there at all. But I think the best journalists or broadcasters like Henry Winter are the ones who insert themselves, then draw back, then insert themselves again. I don't know which authors um, help your style. Who do you read the most? I read a lot of Henry Winter. Uh, but to be honest, my main interest, as you've seen in the article that you read, is more the history side of things. And obviously, I do read a lot of stuff about current ongoings with the Football League, but I've sort of studied history at uni. That's the thing that I'm most fascinated Which by. Which uni? How football's developed at Manchester Met. Yes, I studied history there, had a great time. It's a really good course. And sort of from there, it's blossomed. I'm just fascinated in how football's developed over time. The idea that 50 to 100 years ago, people were doing the exact same things because not a lot's really changed, especially at the Football League level. I know in the Premier League, it was not talk too much about that, but yeah, it's changed so much. But at the Football League level, most games are still three o'clock kickoffs on a Saturday. You'll leave your house at a certain time, potentially go to the pub. When you're young, you'll go on with your parents. And that's what they were doing 100 years ago. It's not really changed in the grand scheme of things. I think that's so fascinating how as much as everything else in society has changed, 
whilst sort of the pays man plays man paid a little bit more, it's still the same concept of going to the match, enjoying it, hating it, depending on the result, and going home. I think it's just fascinating. And I don't know if you've read Duncan Hamilton's book of that title, Going to the Match. I've not, no. Oh, you must. Uh, I'm going to get Duncan on at some point. He's one of the big ones. He wrote a book about... He covered the Nottingham Forest team of the 70s and 80s, so got very close to Brian Clough. Uh, and his latest football book, because he writes cricket as well, but the latest football book uses the L.S. Lowry matchstick painting of going to the match mm. and uses that uh, to hang a season's worth of going to football matches. And I can't remember if Preston is there on top of my head. But um, one thing that hasn't changed, uh, less so in England, more internationally, match fixing and betting and illegal payments. And the piece that you've written, which is, and I'm not saying that because you're you're the editor, but I am in part. The piece that you've written on this match fixing scandal of 100 years ago is both astonishingly written and very well presented on the page. So congratulations on the design. Can you give a pricey? to the listener of what you wrote about? Basically, it's sort of looking for match-fixing scandals because, to be honest, the original, where it's blossomed from, was I love American sports, maybe not as much as I used to, but do find quite fascinating. And about 100 years ago in Major League Baseball, there was a match-fixing scandal in the World Series. Say it ain't so, it, Joe. And it was so. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Shoeless Joe Jackson. And the... Sort of white sock scandal. Nothing that's fascinated me. I read a couple of books on it. And really interesting. And from there, I thought, hmm, I wonder if there's a football version of this. And was just sort of searching the internet and found out there was a scandal around about the exact same time as mm. the white sock scandal. Coventry City had just been accepted into the football league. This was a point when it was first division, second division, and then it was just a load of regional leagues. And their first season in the second division of the Football League, at the start of the season, they played terribly. I think they didn't win any of the first 19 games and then basically got to the end of the season and a couple of figures in the Coventry setup decided, hmm, we don't really want to get relegated. I think we need to try and make sure that we definitely stay up. So one of the figures um, was the captain, George Chaplin, and basically initiated with players from Bury, who Coventry had two fixtures against to close the season. So basically fixed the match. And that led to Coventry staying in the Football League. I don't think they've ever been relegated out of the Football League since. So it's, yeah, remarkable, really. And it's, it shows how uh, the press were reporting all of it. So the importance of documentation... And also the objectivity of the journalist. And it's it's a wonderful piece because it does show that era when there were... It wasn't, wasn't amateur because you got paid for it. But this was the era, the 1920s. If you haven't read the book about Billy Meredith, whom you may... You may know of Billy Meredith, actually. Played for Man U and organ, set in motion what became the PFA how clubs really ruled the roost before about 1961. So I hope this is part of a series um, because of your football history ability. Have you read Scott Murray's book on uh, the First Division? I've not, no. To be honest with you, in terms of reading books on general football history and sort of topics like that, I need to do more rocks. The thing is, I find with reading books is I'll see a book about a very sort of obscure topic and I'll read that 
then I've read a bit about the Polish football history by Ryan Hubbard. That was really interesting. I've just yeah, read so many different books about sort of obscure topics. I think you'd like Scott Murray's book, The Title, because it starts in 1889, and we know what happened then. And uh, Yes. Yeah, to go right the way back, everyone knows about the Preston Invincibles because kids in the 50s thought, well, there's, there's no way a team can win the double again. And now it's routine. Man City are going to run away with more trophies this year, and it's boring. But at the end of the 19th century, it was because Preston had all the Scots. Yes, the main reason why Preston was so good at that point is because they were paying players before it was allowed. Like we talk about sort of corruption football being quite present, especially in other countries. And we sort of talk about how football nowadays is very much run by oligarchs and people cheating the system a little bit. But that's how football started. Football has never been a fully clean game full of people playing it, running it properly. Preston were paying players well before it was legal. And that's actually why they won that first season and yep. won the cup and went undefeated. Because they were paying, as you said, Scottish players to come down, work in the factory, so to say, and then were absolutely dominant on the pitch. Isn't it It's very similar to uh, American universities awarding scholarships? And so long as the kid gets a GPA of about 0.5, they can play in their football team and thus the prestige from when a player becomes a pro and is drafted, reflects back on, I don't know, Notre Dame or Tennessee State mm-hmm. Uni or Georgia Tech. Uh, I've, I'm not an American football fan in the slightest, but I appreciate the cultural aspect of it. I wonder if you've listened to my chat with David Tossel, who works for the NFL. I have not, no. That's fine. There are over 100. In fact, I've just passed the 100 marker. You're number 102 that I've put up. So there are... Hours, hours of fun. So when you're not putting together the second issue of Our Football League or soliciting contributions, which you can send to contact at ourfootballleague.co.uk, you can listen to the Football Library. And the first issue does take its place on the shelves in the magazine section alongside every issue of When Saturday Comes and 442 and World Soccer. Do you subscribe to any magazines apart from Halpfeer? At the moment, it's just how fear. If, if you do come to the Football Library, because I do hope this can be a physical building, uh, and indeed, I've contributed uh, to the second issue. Uh, I won't ask you on mic what you think of it, but uh, this is a piece where I'm trying to say, come all you fans of Mansfield and Chesterfield. In fact, I think I've got a Chesterfield fan because there is something in the first issue about Chesterfield. Is this someone you knew from secondary school, perchance? It's actually someone who my little brother knows. So my little brother is you know, officially termed it the associate editor. Yeah, just a he just he, he just does a load of the little things I don't really want to do, and I sort of like, give him a few quid for it. He's also got a piece in the in the magazine, which we'll get to, but yes, good old he Dan. He does, yes. Yes, yes, good old Dan. So it's basically one of his friends from secondary school who's written that piece about Chesterfield, which I think is really good, actually, because his friend hasn't really done anything like this before, has never really written uh, a piece for anything. So I think it's really good, actually, for a first attempt. Well, just remind me what it centres on, which aspect of Chesterfield? It basically centres on their downfall. So about six years ago now, pretty much, they were playing Preston in the League One playoffs. They were looking up. They had Paul Cook as manager. They had some fantastic players... And basically, since then, they've dropped 
massively. Like now they're in mid-table in the conference. Mm. I think over the past two seasons they've been in a relegation battle in the conference. So it basically just sense on their downfall. Also at the end has a little part where it looks looks to the future because they've got a manager now called James Rowe, who they brought in from Gloucester City. And since he's come in, they've been a side rejuvenated. And I think if he keeps it up, fingers crossed, I don't think it'll happen this season, but I think next season they could be uh, winning that league and getting back to the league where I think they belong, to be honest. You might be too young, but I remember the Chesterfield of Sean Dyche in 1997, the FA Cup semi-finalist, and thought it was unbelievable. And yes, they have sunk like a very heavy Led Zeppelin. Uh, to the conference yes. and to the National League and it's a really really good article there are also articles on Carlisle United Charlton Athletic Derby County Blackpool and Rotherham my my other favourite article is about the football kits give Dan his due uh, I thought it was I'm not a kit fetishist in any way but it was lovely to see some of these old fashioned jerseys um, especially because they're as a Preston fan obviously uh, there's envy of shirts because Preston have to wear all white Yes, I think at the moment, over the past few years, our kits have been so bland, but the kit that Dan's put in there from Preston shows that it can be done well. It's a really nice design, actually, from the mid-90s, where it's like a white template shirt with like yellow and navy blue on the front. I'm not convinced about his choice of number one. I won't sort of spoil it for anyone that's listening, but I'm not convinced on that. I've given him quite a bit of stick for that choice. Our FL mag, if you want to debate, because that's what these things do. 442 put up something the other day saying the funniest moment in football history is, and I put, was it when there was no objection to when Abramovich used stolen Russian money to take over Chelsea? Or do you mean the other meaning of funny? <laughs> hmm. um, Alan Brown. Josh Knowles has written this great piece, and I, know, I knew nothing about Alan Brown. But he played a pivotal role in modern-day Preston North End. Uh, if you were to, would you send a copy of this magazine to Alan? If Alan wanted one, yeah. I'd happily send that over to him if he uh, got in touch and wanted one. Because, yeah, it's a good piece because he's, he's one of them players that was a bit unheralded for a few years, but has really grown into the club. I think we signed him in 2014 from Cork City and it sort of took a few years to develop and then has now turned into basically our, our cap, club captain. Um, has signed a new contract with us. He's been with us since 2014 and has now signed I think, a three-year contract this year. So he's, it's every chance he's going to reach 10 years at the club, which I think is fantastic. Another yeah. thing as well about Alan Brown, he's, I don't know how many appearances away, but he's nearly at 300 appearances for the club. And I don't think he's 26 yet. So if he stays with his whole career, there's a good chance he'll be our record appearance holder, which would be something. The player um, who has the most appearances is one of England's most famous players. And on the cover of his memoir, not Alan Brown, Tom Finney's memoir, there is the picture of the splash. Were you at the unveiling of the statue that commemorated Tom Finney? I wasn't at the unveiling, but I walk past it most Saturdays in normal times, so I love it. I think it's one of those statues that whenever I see a list of top statues when someone puts those together, it's never on there. And I don't understand why, because I don't think there are many better statues. 
I've written a piece that I'm shopping around. It does have players who are from the top tier. But yeah, clearly Finney's statue is great. Um, it's an action shot. And Tom Finney, the Preston plumber, do you feel sorry for him that he, more or less because he played before 1961 and the retaining transfer system was still in place, that he couldn't play for Man United? I mean, feasibly, it would have been best Law, Charlton, Finney if he'd been allowed to leave. I do feel bad for him, yes, because he did actually have the op- he didn't have the option. Him, there was an offer from Italy from Lerno in the mid nineteen fifties, and he sort of went in and said to the club chairman at the time and said, "Oh, Lerno are interested," and the chairman basically said, "There's no chance you're going, mate," and that was that. Whereas I think nowadays, if Vinny played, I think he'd be able to play. Maybe not up to the Messi's and Ronaldo's, but wouldn't be far off. He was that what he would play for the top top clubs. But he he was just incredible. Like everyone in Preston knows of the legend of Tom Finney. It's everyone's got their stories. Like my grandparents that are from Preston, they met him a few times. He's just every corner of the city he's touched. He's he's basically shrined to him deep down. He's an incredible person, and it says a lot about the sort of person he is. That when he passed away in 2014. The next day, BBC Radio 5 Live presented from Deepdale. Now, he only he passed away, remember, it was in the evening, actually. It was only about sort of 8, 9 o'clock at night when he passed away. And they managed to arrange in that 24 hours for them to present from Deepdale because of the impact that he had on yeah. not just Preston, but football in general. Yeah, he was the figure. Well, there was Stanley Matthews, and they will always be bracketed together because they played as a winger. But Stan Matthews and Tom Finney... And, um, Stan is head over heels in love with Tom Finney in his book. And Tom also comes out across as just a typical Lancastrian, nice bloke, just happens to be much better than everyone else at football. I don't think Alan Brown will touch what Tom Finney did to the city. But one club man, most goals, uh, he he is what Preston represents. Who is the second best player to have ever played from Preston? For Preston, and you can say Jermaine Beckford. I was tempted to say Jermaine Beckford, but it would be Alan Kelly Sr., to be honest. When he said earlier, Tom Finney had the most appearances. He has the most goals, but most appearances, actually. Alan Kelly Sr., the goalkeeper, because um, he's got a stands named after him at Deepdale, with one, and he's got his face plastered on it like all the stands do, oh, named after certain players. I, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't <laughs> been to Deepdale. to me. I've changed I've changed trains at Preston. I actually saw of all people Alistair Campbell. I think I was coming back from Blackburn or someone. Alistair Campbell was there. I said, "What are you doing here?" He said, "I'm at an event." Um he's obviously the, the rival team. Who are Preston's rivals by the way? Blackpool. Oh, of course. So I think within that part of the world there's a few sort of rivalries going about. Well, the main ones are Preston and Blackpool. And then it's Blackburn and Burnley. Yeah. So obviously those, they're the respective main rivals that is the most fierce. But then at the moment with the way football pyramid is and where we are, mostly play Blackburn. So mm-hmm. that's sort of our big rivalry game in current times. Burnley, I don't think I've anyone there so far ahead of us all now to the point where you can't even hate them. They're so well run, so nice that yes, it was a rivalry about 10 years ago, but mm-hmm. we're on such different levels now we can't even... 
Well, well, smart investment. Uh, and we'll go to where Preston are today very shortly. But I wanted you to name the 11 who played in the League One playoff final in 2015. Yeah, that should be much easier. <laughs> you know, right, so Sam Johnston was in Nets. Uh, right back was Callum Woods. Centre half was Bailey Wright and Paul Huntington. Tom Clark was at full back actually. I think him and Callum Woods were not. Callum Woods was on the left, he was on the Correct. right. Correct. In midfield, we had Paul Gallagher, but he came off after half an hour um, to be replaced by Alan Brown. And within that half an hour, he got two assists. Incredible player. He's another one actually, to be honest, that my appearances he made for the club, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes down sort of a legend. I, I read Paul Gallagher. Many of them were on loan. Yes, and Paul Gallagher at that point was, I think he was permanent at that point, or maybe to permanent in the summer afterwards. Um, Neil Kilkenny, I think he was permanent, mm-hmm. he started as well. Daniel Johnson, yep. we signed him from Aston Villa in the January for 50 grand, and he's still with us now. Jamaican, yep. Uh, yep, then we've got Joe Garner, Joey Garner, Joey legend Garner. that season. Yep. Preston fan, scored 27 goals, I think he was Probably would have been good not for Wembley, and that would have topped a lot for him. Then Sir Jermaine Beckford, I mean, that game was absolutely incredible. Were they good? The was it a good hat trick? It was an incredible hat trick. I mean, the first goal, it was in a tussle with Nathan Thompson, the Swindon centre half. They managed to get a header away, which that was, in terms of moments I've had at football matches, that moment we went 1 0 up was is up there because Preston notoriously before that game had probably the worst playoff record. I think it was nine playoff appearances and zero promotions. Yeah, and this includes, by the way, um, actually, I may as well ask you, uh, which years, are the, in the year two, from 2000 to 2009, um, you were in the top six four times. Which years did you reach the playoff final and who beat you in those finals? So 2001, we played Sam Allardyce's Bolton oh in Cardiff. Yeah, 3-0 defeat. In 2005, we played West Ham and lost. I think Alan, was it Alan Pardew was manager of them then? Uh, yes, lost it was. 1-0. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was... This is the problem. It's we were so cursed in playoffs before 2015. That season, we uh, played West Ham in the final. We played them three times, then played them twice in the league and once in the cup. We beat them three times comfortably. Oh, no. And then we lost on the day. And that Preston team, that should have gone up. Who was in that the players team? players we had in that team. So, Carlo Nash was in Nets. He was just a state, like, very solid keeper. Never did a lot wrong. We had Yul Moeni at centre-half, who I think to a lot of Preston fans is probably one of the best players we've had over the past sort of 20, 30, 40 years. Chris, how was it Chris Lepetto or Davis's side? I think it was Chris Lepetto's side at centre half as well. Was the captain? He was also the captain, funnily enough, three years earlier when I was a mascot in two thousand and two. Was a five year old. Oh, lovely. He was the captain, and there's actually a funny photo where as we're going out the tunnel at Deepdale, I don't know if I just froze or whatnot. I was only five years old, but there's a photo of me sun shining in my eyes, my arms folded, looking miserable. It was probably one of the best days of my life, but I was so overawed by walking out in front of 18,000 people that 
I just sort of froze and this photo of Chris Lachetti looking down at me quite angrily thinking, hurry up, come on, come on, hurry up. <laughs> um, yeah, Chris Lachetti was at centre-half and Claude Davis might have started as well. He was another fantastic defender. Left-back Callum Davidson, who is now manager of St Johnston in Scotland, I think who he was. Um, Brian O'Neill, Scottish centre midfielder, another fantastic, classy player who was just struggled with injuries. To be honest, he could have gone even further in the game if he did not have those. Paul McKenna, I presume he started. Another Preston lad, uh, Eddie Lewis, American left winger, absolutely incredible. Chris Sedgwick, right mid. He played for Rotherham before us and went to Sheffield Wednesday afterwards. Then up front, it was David Nugent, probably my favourite Preston player of all time, and Richard Cresswell, oh, Richard Cresswell. the striker. Who, yes. who did you say was left back? Callum Davidson. He was either suspended or injured. Matt Hill played in the final. Was it? Yeah. The West Ham team included Anton Ferdinand, Chris Powell, Sean Newton, Nigel Rio Coca, Hayden Mullins, Matty Edrington, Marlon Harewood, Bobby Zamora. And what was what did you think was going to happen at the end? Because West Ham had to sub off their keeper. I can't remember, to be honest, because the funny thing about that game, I think my dad went, no, my dad didn't go down to watch it. He went down to the one in 2001. Well, that one against West Ham, my auntie had just started going out with a West Ham fan. Mm. And I think it may have been the first or second time we met was at my uncle's house for the playoff final. Mm-hmm. And he's a big West Ham fan. And I just remember being so angry at him when they won. Yeah, unsurprisingly. <laughs> he was just there, didn't you? realised what he was walking into when I walked in the room because I was so passionate about North End in those. I still am, obviously, but as a kid, I, if we lost, it got to me. If we won, I was bouncing up and down, like off walls. <laughs> and yeah, it's, that's my lasting memory of that game was just being fuming at my uncle. It wasn't his fault, West Ham won. So he played at that point, which they'd lost, but um, just being absolutely raging. And uh, the next season, just remind me who beat you in the semi-finals of the playoffs. Oh, you don't have to remind me about that, Leeds. That was my worst football experience, that game, in the playoff semi-finals. I mean, second leg. if you want cheering up, you would have lost to A.D. Boothroyd's Watford in the final. We sing to Leeds fans, 3-0, do you remember 3-0? Jada Merritt with a header. But yes, that was agonising twice in the top six in consecutive years and also a semi-finalist in 2009. So 2009, yes. So I think with that 2005 to sort of 2007 period, I think Billy Davis from 2004 to 06, and he was the best manager we've had, to be honest. He was a bit of a nutcase, but an incredible manager. But we should have gone up with that team we had. I mean, think about that game against Leeds in the playoff semi-final as I said earlier about that I'm originally from Chesterfield me and my dad drove over from Chesterfield to Preston after I'd finished school on that day it was midweek yeah. and it was just a long journey two hours we got stuck in traffic on the way into Preston because there was loads of Leeds fans coming in the same direction got to my grandma's we were already running late and I sit down at the table I'm only sort of little at that point my grandma plonks the biggest plate of Lancashire hot pot you've ever seen in your life in front of me. I'm sort of looking at this mountain of food thinking I was going to go on the match. And my dad had sort of subtly say without my grandma hearing that I don't have to eat it all. 
and I didn't think I barely touched the sides to be honest I was like <laughs> nervous about the game and nervous about trying to get that hot pot down me get on the game running a bit late first half went fine then in the second half Almorod broke his leg it was about a 10 minute delay to the match then the floodlights went off so the game got uh, delayed once again then Leeds went and scored two goals but they were both from corners actually from what I remember sort of corners and then headers into the net and I don't think we got back to Chesterfield till very early hours of the morning sort of one, two o'clock in the morning now if that had been any other game it would have been horrible but that was a playoff semi-final when we were certain we were going up I know we probably wouldn't have beaten A.D. Boothroyd Watford side but yeah heartbreaking that absolutely heartbreaking yeah, especially when you're a kid because I I didn't. I went to the playoff final in '99. I was in A-level year for 2006, so I wouldn't have gone to Cardiff, and I wasn't a big Watford fan. Uh, I did go to the playoff final in 2013. Quiz question: Who scored Leicester's goal in the first leg of the playoff semi-final, thus keeping both Harry Kane and Jamie Vardy out of the Leicester team? Was it David Nugent? David Nugent is the correct answer. Um, he was a bit of a lobus, which is a Yiddish word for a bit of a scamp. He's actually contracted to Preston at the moment. He plays for Tranmere uh, currently. But is this his retirement season, Nugent? Because he is very old. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to be honest. I think you'll see how it goes at Tranmere. His first stint with us. Like we're talking about legends. It's a word thrown around a lot. But Nugent was best player. A lot of people at my age that are Preston fans, Nugent is the player. So when we signed him in for his second since uh, a couple of years ago, it was the most incredible feeling. I was, if I just get to see Newton score one more goal for North End, it would top everything off. And unfortunately, he's only scored one goal for us in his second stint. And that was a, it was a Tuesday night game against Fulham, which I wasn't there for. So I've, I've not seen Newton score in his second stint, but uh, what an unbelievable play. He's obviously lost it a bit now, but on his day... He played for England. There's been many better... Yeah, exactly. When he was Preston player against Andorra, scored. Yes. One game, one goal for England. <laughs> yes, and ha- from how many inches was that goal? I think one inch would probably yeah. be. Yeah, what a lobbyist. What a that's, that's, I'm sure Jermaine Defoe said, yeah, I'd have done the same when that happened. I, I still don't know who owns Preston. Are you owned by a local businessman? We're owned by a horse racing entrepreneur called Trevor Hemmings. He's supposedly a very, very rich man. I think he owns a Blackpool Tower at one point. Okay. He owns like Pont- Pontins or Butlins, one of those holiday camps. Very, very rich man. And to be fair, he's put a lot of money into the club. I think he's £15 million pounds in a year. And that's without making much back, especially at the moment. Yeah. And what it, what it seems is that Preston are run in the old-fashioned way in that Simon Grayson and Alex Neal are the only two managers you've had and Watford have had about 12 in that time span. So we, we know how brilliant Simon Grayson is. We knew how excellent Alex Neal was when he managed Norwich. Do you think it helps, like Billy Davis, that we've got, you've got, rather we, you, Preston, uh, have a, a Scottish manager who's not going to set the world aflame, but knows how to manage it at the second tier? Yeah, I think it does help, yeah. At the moment, though, with Alex Neal, to be honest... I can see a situation where by the time this goes out, it's unlikely, but depends on the next few results. I can see a situation where he's not in charge because it's gone very downhill for him this season. He's struggled a bit recently. So he's not at the best of luck in regards to players leaving and having sort of 
rebuild the squad mid-season. But yeah, I think it's, it's been with us nearly four years now. I think it's reaching the end of its spell now. I think we'd have a change. Well, especially given that Nigel Pearson's at Bristol City, Neil Warnock is at Middlesbrough, Mick McCarthy is at Cardiff. The Yiddish is Alti Kakas, uh, which someone used to refer to Giggs and Scholes as the old bastards. But Alex Neil is young, experienced as well. But as we speak on the 4th of March, uh, two wins in 12 and they include a 4-0 against Cardiff and a 1-0 against Watford. But yeah, three key players. Um, ben Davis, Ben Pearson, Chad Evans. That hasn't helped. So, I mean, Chad Evans, he's uh, still with us at the moment, actually playing quite well, which is uh, not something I thought I'd be saying. But yeah, losing... Ben Davis and Ben Pearson was was a setback, especially with Ben Davis going to Liverpool. That was incredible move for him. But he's been our best centre half now for a couple of years. Um, ben Pearson was, was a fan hero. He's been really good for us over the past few years. But to be honest, he's taken a step back over the past year or so because he's had a terrible disciplinary record. He was suspended pretty much one every four or five games. And there was a point as well with Pearson where I'd be on the train up to Preston and I'd see he's not in the starting eleven, and you'd know we weren't going to win. He was that good for us at one point. But over the past sort of 12 months, he took, I think, since his contract situation was up in the air, he'd taken a bit of a step back. And to be fair, we've actually replaced him quite well. We've signed a player called Ben Whiteman from Doncaster, who plays in the same position, but offers a bit more going forwards mm. but not going to say he's as good as Pearson yet because Pearson's been doing well at the championship level for five years but I'm hopeful that we'll be able to replace those two Pearson has gone to a place where they don't really have a disciplinary record uh, the less said about Bournemouth the better but he did play the other week uh, for Bournemouth against Watford and I, it didn't register that he'd just signed from Preston I must have missed it in the story. But there seems to be a big Everton connection, obviously. Ryan Ledson, central midfield. Declan Rudd was here at Everton once upon a time. I know he was at Norwich. Probably without no, Neil. wasn't it? No, Rudd wasn't at Everton. Rudd's only been at Norwich, I think. That's the only club he's had apart from us. Uh-huh. Uh, but Anthony Gordon is the connection. You've got him on loan from Everton. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable player. He's only 20 and he's... He's one of them players that when you watch, you know he's a level above. It's very easy to see at the championship. I know sort of when you, as a Watford fan, you've been in the Prem for a few years, so but there's a lot of those players that are clearly very good at the championship. They stand out. Anthony Gordon is probably the first player we've had like that since Aidan McGeady. We had him on loan about four years ago. And you know when you're watching a player and you think, this player is unlike anything else we've got or we've seen for a few years and that's what Anthony Gordon is he's only 20 on loan from Everton he's going to be a big big player I think he'll be in their first team next season no he, how? how how is he going to get in that first team he'll be around the first team but unless James Rodriguez goes and Tom Davis has a, a bit of a fall I can't see him playing so I wonder if Preston will benefit from him uh, likewise Sepp Vandenberg and I can see a situation where Ben Davis comes back to Preston on loan along with Vandenberg, because there's obviously a good link, although you must be annoyed that Blackpool has the bigger link with um, Liverpool now. Is Neil Critchley still in charge? He is, yes. To be honest, I'm not too jealous of anything related to Blackpool at the moment, because luckily they're nicely positioned in mid-table in League One, so they're not bothering us too much at the moment. They can stay, they can stay down there and we'll just stay mid-table in the Championship. 
Um, yeah, I mean, with regards to Seth Vandenberg, he's another young player. He's only 19, actually, which is, seems like it's been around for a few years, but early 19. And he's looked pretty good recently, playing right back for us. I think Ben Davis, <laughs> I hope he makes an appearance for Liverpool at some point. He may have done by the time this is out, but as we speak, he's been there for about five weeks and hasn't made an appearance yet. So I think with Davis, he will end up at a Premier team on loan or a cheap permanent next year. Because he's a, he was very good for us, but with another level to being good for Preston and being good for Liverpool. Yeah, Watford are finding that with Philip Zinkenagel, who did really well at Bodder Klimt and uh, has done nothing. I think one assist for Watford. Uh, your current strike force are Tom, I'm going to guess Barkhausen and Scott Sinclair. He's South African descent. He said it's pronounced Tom Barkhausen, apparently. Um, but to be honest, that's, that took a few years for everyone to learn. Barky. Barky. Yeah, that's what we just call them, to be honest, a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, our sort of front threes, as we speak, it's Scott Sinclair and Anthony Gordon on the wings. Barky comes off the bench. And we have Chad Evans up front, brought in from Fleetwood. Mm-hmm. And he's scoring five goals in League One in the first half of the season. So we signed him, obviously, we don't need to get into the other stuff about his past, but just on a football level itself, it looked like a terrible signing. And he's come in, and to be fair, he's looked really good. He's scored a fantastic goal overnight against Millwall. All these defenders, which we've not had in a striker since Jordan Hugill. So, yeah, it's it's a good strike force that should be doing better than what it is at the moment under Alex Neal. Yeah, the Ched Evans situation is well rehearsed, but if you're very good at your job, predominantly that's what the dressing room responds to. But I, I do wonder what some fans will make of a Preston team where Ched Evans is up front. I suppose you don't have much of a problem. It's it's one of those things, isn't it, where you, you're fighting it. Because as a football fan, you can try as hard as you can to be moral. It's like Newcastle fans with this new ownership, potentially, from the Saudi Arabian government. It's a very different situation, but also it shows the moral stance of being a football fan when you want your team, all you really care about is to make points, but then there are other factors that if someone come into it. To be honest, with Preston fans, if you want to see what the reaction was, go and find the tweet that Preston put out there when we signed him. There was a lot of angry reaction. I've never seen anything like it, to be honest, because a lot of fans were sort of saying they're not going to watch again while he's playing for us. I'm not sure how many have actually stuck to that, but it's it got a very bad reaction, especially when people consider the football part of it as well, because we signed him from Fleetwood Town. He's not been prolific this season for mm-hmm. them. It seemed like a terrible move with off-the-field stuff and his on-the-field stuff. But now the on-the-field stuff's actually sorting itself out. He's really good for us. It's, yeah, at least our sort of moral conundrum. Which yeah, is I mean, sort of sorts out as a football fan. Far be it from me to say that it's like the Conservative government with the vaccine now. As long as the vaccine is working, you forget the rest. As long as Ched Evans scores goals to keep Preston in mid-table. But I try not to do politics in the show. I'm an equal opportunities voter. Um, Preston next season, uh, is the hope mid-table? Or do you, if you were Trevor Hemmings, would you sign an, an available manager like Chris Powell or someone of that kind? Someone who can get Preston into the top eight rather than the middle eight? Personally, I'd be happy to survive next year. I'm quite worried about it, to be honest. This is the other conundrum about Alex Neal and do we get rid of him, do we not? There's things with Alex Neal, we'll go on bad runs, but we're always good to get the odd good result. 
um, that sort of keeps us afloat. I don't envy anyone that's going to be predicting where Preston finish next season officially because we could finish anywhere from top six to bottom because basically this summer there's every chance we're going to be rebuilding everything. I can see a situation where Alex Neil goes and if he goes, I don't know who you bring in. My first thought would have been someone like Nigel Pearson or Paul Cook. It's probably, Paul Cook's probably not regional choice, but now he's at Ipswich. I don't know who you bring in. This is why I'm it's my debate with little brother Dan a lot is do we get rid of him now because I actually think once we're safe we get rid of Alex Neal give Paul Gallagher who's still a registered player for us but doing a lot of coaching give him the job till the end of the season just to mm. sort of see how it goes yeah the Solskjaer gives route yeah yeah because I don't know who you're getting that's permanent but ultimately it reaches a point where as much as you can be scared about making that change have to make that change because because Gallagher will know from the training pitch who wants to play and who doesn't and unfortunately if you lose two of your first 11 that's going to leave everyone else questioning their place at the club so yeah I will I'll monitor what Preston do in the next six months maybe there will be a piece in the second issue of our football league which comes out in June ourfootballleague.co.uk twitter is our fl mag uh you are so young that you don't remember David Moyes as Preston manager. Does it astound your dad that David Moyes' West Ham United are hovering perilously close to the top four of the Premier League? I don't think it does. I think for a lot of Preston fans, Moyes was... I talk about Billy Davis in my lifetime being the best. I mean, to be honest, I, I caught the very, very end of Moyes' time at Preston, to be honest, and my first game I remember was against Man City in 2001 when Moyes was still manager. And Johnny Macken, who actually scored a screamer from the halfway line, one of the best goals that plays the best goal I've seen in my life, and it was the first game I remember. Moyes' time at Preston, he was so good. He took us from the mid table league one side to the championship playoff final, so he's a legend in Preston. So I think the Preston fans know it's it's not really a surprise because we've never lost faith in him as a manager. No, he's not been our manager. You don't forget what he did for us. So it's quite a sad scene. It's sort of him going to Man United in his fall since then. And it's just it's fantastic to see him back sort of doing well. Yeah. He was the chosen one. And it just didn't work out because uh, Everton in 2012 or not, this was 13, was not the same as Man United in 2013. Uh, the little known winger who was on loan at Preston. Uh, how much do people tell you about a floppy-haired David Beckham from, like, 94? People were watching him. He clearly looked a level above. I think we were in League Two then. I think we were. But I don't think people necessarily remember it because it was only the sort of six-game stint. He did score direct from a corner, which was impressive. The fact that he played for us is something that is, we're very proud of. Because if you look at the clubs David Beckham has played for, and it reads off, like, sort of... From, Ridiculous. It's created the start. PSG, Real Madrid, AC Milan, yeah. LA, go up, Galaxy, Manchester United, Preston, Preston <laughs> <laughs> um, That would actually be a great article, an 11 based on players who played in the top tier who had to go on loan. I mean, there are loads, aren't there? Pickford and Abraham and um, Ben Davis. They all played in the Football League. But there is... The Pyramid is such a wonderful thing and I'm delighted that you've started this magazine, Our Football League, uh, which represents the 72 clubs that aren't in the elite. And of course, every season you get 
four or five new ones. Um, it looks likely that Sheffield United, Fulham and one of West Brom or Newcastle will go down. So it might bring more readers to you. But if you were to sum up the English Football League with one club, you know how some players are definitely Premiership players or Champions League players. Which club are Football League clubs? I think Preston, there's a good argument for it. I think Preston is the best club to really sum up what the Football League is. Because Preston, the club that have been there from day one to now, have never left Football League. I think there was a couple of times in the 80s where we had to apply for the election. Um, that was before my time. That, uh, But yeah, I think it perfectly sum up the Football League, to be honest, because... We've played in all three divisions at various points. We've got the history of being there at the very start, being the most successful club at the start, to now where I don't think we're going to leave the Football League anytime soon. I can't see us getting promoted. So it's a massive ball for us to actually get relegated into the conference. I think it just sums up the Football League. It's everything about the club and the history of it and the fans nowadays everyone is proud of their own club but there's something about Preston that it's just it when you walk into Deepdale and you see like the faces built into the like the mosaics of the players faces into the stands it's a fantastic club that it's it's fun to support it's horrible at times but good times outweigh the bad because yeah. it's just it's just fun it's just fun because better than supporting those some of my family do that are from Preston just picking and choosing to support Man United or Liverpool it's not the same. It can't be the same as when you're doing those train journeys to far flung places, watching us score a 90th minute win or conceding a 90th minute goal. It's the ups and downs. It's, I'm sure most fans will be able to relate to that no matter which club they support, but it's not about Preston. But I think it just, they are the football league. And indeed, yeah, the first champion, the first division uh, is what is the championship now because the Premier League split away. And so Preston are probably the most successful football team in the Football League as then as was. And I do look forward to uh, going to see the Alan Kelly senior stand and the Tom Finney statue. And I will surely, uh, unless Watford do go up this season, we won't. I'll I'll go to Deepdale next year. Uh, I think there are certain clubs like QPR and Blackburn and Preston and Luton who have the heritage but probably won't be the top 25 clubs. I think there are certain clubs that are clubs 23 to 42, i.e. good championship clubs. And I I think your fandom of Preston would um, be less good if you did go up. Imagine if you'd have gone up uh, in 2006. You would have had what happened to Watford. You would have tanked. I think it was probably better that you stayed in the uh, championship. No, I think we're at the point now where even if we just get one season, we do need to get up to the Prem because it's... I think we're one of the biggest clubs now to not play in the Premier League as it is. And the big thing as well, which I think probably the main reason why we have to get off even just for one season, is all of our rivals have done it now. So mm. Blackpool had their one season up in the Prem. Blackburn have had their time in the Prem and won it. Burnley are having their time now under Sean Dyche. So it's it's something we need to do. Wigan, Bolton... Mm-hmm. All the clubs in the local area have all done it. So we need to do it. And I think it would help the club. It helps everyone financially. But I think it would help us just to give ourselves tickets for a few years. Even just have one season up there. It is dangerous. Some teams go and Huddersfield are in free fall a bit at the moment. They have their two seasons up. should run a bit now. But I think we just need to do it. Because it's been so long. The last time we were in the top flight, 
was 1961. My dad wasn't born until 1962. So in his lifetime, he's going up to 60 now. We've never been in the top five. So we need to do it, just to hit it out of the way, to be honest. And of course... But to sum up as well what Tom Finney means to Preston, he retired in 1960. The next season we got relegated and never been back up. That's how good of a player and how important he was at that point. He was basically single-handedly keeping us in the top flight. Absolutely incredible. I mean, the only bad thing if Preston do go up is that the father of Matt and Dan Kellett, who have both got pieces in the Our Football League magazine, won't be able to write for Our Football League uh, about Preston because they'll be in the Premier League. But pieces about Rotherham, Chesterfield, Blackpool, Charlton, that's very fair to put, have a Blackpool piece in. I think that's a very good nod to try and get some Blackpool people to buy it. Charlton, Carlisle, Derby and Watford as well. Um, our Football League, It's how, how do you order it? How, what do, you, do you send money over PayPal? How do you do it? So there's two options. You can either pay via PayPal or there is an option to enter your card details as well. Um, so it's just you go on the website, ourfootballleague.co.uk, click on whatever you want to order, whether it's subscription or just the individual copy. And yeah, send to your payment details, send the money over and we'll get them dispatched. Because yeah, I'm hoping that the magazines arrive at some point in the next hour and then I can probably get those sent off to the post office later today. And I look forward to receiving mine, which will join tons and tons of magazines on the shelves of the football library. Uh, Matt Kellett, Preston are playing this weekend, aren't they? Uh, what do you reckon? Bournemouth at home this Saturday, so we're going to return Ooh. Ben Pearson to Preston. Return of the Pearson. Our Football League, uh, the magazine, our FL Mag on Twitter. The editor welcomed into the football library today. You do get your laminated football library card and it will have an image of Tom Finney uh, diving out of a tackle on a very wet pitch on it. So thanks very much, Matt, and best of luck with issue two as well. No problem.